You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush, and I got my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey, my man, how are you doing? Feeling good, feeling good, feeling good. So, I mean, right now, things are starting to slowly but surely getting back into the groove of things as far as school, but work is chill, family's chill. You know, everything is just, you know, really good right now. You know, early days, um, we, you know, got through January 1st month of 2021. Now it's crazy. February. Crazy. Yeah. We're already a month into the new year. <laughs> yeah. But yeah so much has happened too. Like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad to know that you're doing well. Let's get started into this on this day, February 3rd. We had four Super Bowls that were played on this day on February 3rd. We had the 2002 Super Bowl 36, where the Patriots beat the Rams 20 to 17. And then we had the 2008 Super Bowl 42, where the Giants beat the Patriots 17 to 14. And then in 2013, we had Super Bowl 47, where the Ravens beat the 49ers 34 to 31. And then last but not least, we had 2019 Super Bowl 53, where the Patriots beat the Rams 13 to three. So out of these four Super Bowls, Corey, which one do you think is the most memorable one? Well, for me personally, it had to be 2008 um, because that game between the Giants and the Patriots, it felt like everybody was kind of feeling as if the first time that the Giants and Eli beat the Patriots was kind of like, okay, well, that's a one-off, you know, like they just caught them on, you know, a bad day. You know, it had to be on the last game of the season, but <laughs> they got, they got, you know, they got them, they beat them fair and square. But this was the game where everybody felt like, okay, Brady's gonna, Brady, Belichick, the Patriots, they're going to right the wrong. They're going to get their revenge. They're going to beat these guys. And it just, once again, did not happen. But man, uh, Gronk almost had that last play. Like, I still remember that last play. If, if Gronk makes that catch in the end zone, do you realize that people would still probably be talking about that play and probably would be saying like, yo, Tom Brady, like, would that pretty much be like the first ever walk off? Like, well, not walk off, like, but like that could be like a Hail Mary. I don't know if there's ever been like a Hail Mary touchdown game winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, but that would have been like such an iconic play in NFL history. If Gronk makes that catch. Yeah, for sure. For me, the most memorable one personally, you know, I have to go with Super Bowl 47 when yes, the 10 sir. and 6 wild card Baltimore Ravens shocked the NFL and myself, honestly, beat the 49ers in the historical Harbaugh brother battle, which was also really dope to see that the Harbaugh brothers just imagine being 
the Harbaugh mom, dad, you know, just seeing your two <laughs> sons coaching out in the Super Bowl. That's that's pretty sick. But it was a second Super Bowl appearance and victory for the Ravens. And then we had the infamous Beyonce halftime performance. I made the lights go out in the second half. And then we had Jacoby Jones, who was a monster. And then Ray Lewis rode off in the sunset. And then last but not least, it was the game that made Joe Flacco elite baby that that was the game that made joe flacco elite but if i put all ravens bias aside then yes i'm going to say the 2008 super bowl 42 where the giants they saved the 1972 miami dolphins perfect season record by defeating the undefeated new england patriots at the time yep and since we're on the topic of super bowls let's get started on super bowl sunday because it's honestly the best sunday of the year for us football fans it's finally here and that is Super Bowl Sunday. And we got quite a bit of storylines going into this one. It is exciting, mm. exciting Sunday. Cannot come fast enough. But let's start off. You know, we got the old school versus the new school. Brady going for his 10th Super Bowl, his first one without the Patriots at the age of 43. He's going for his seventh Super Bowl ring. But could this ring be the most significant one if he captures it? No Belichick, no Patriots. And I think if he wins this, he just solidifies himself as a goal. There's no debate anymore for, <laughs> for the time being, I will say. But um, and then you have on the other side, the new school, Patrick Mahomes going for back-to-back Super Bowls in only his fourth season. And I honestly, if there's anybody to catch up to Tom Brady's GOAT debate in his career, it would be Patrick Mahomes, the guy who's sitting on the other sideline. Um, and honestly, Mahomes might be the most fun and formidable player in the NFL, given the offense he's in and the weapons he has around him. And he's looking to be the first quarterback to win back-to-back Super Bowl since, wait for it, Tom Brady back in 2004-2005. Corey, what are your thoughts on the old school versus the new school? I mean, I'll I'll say it again. Before the season started, I thought it was going to be Packers versus Chiefs. Um, But this matchup, uh, based on everything that we've seen throughout the playoffs – is not one that I'm going to be like, oh, man, I still wish the Packers would have got in there. But at the same time, I mean, we still got a great storyline. We got a great um, form- formidable matchup between, like you said, old school versus new school. We got a potential, you know, young goat and we got, you know, an old goat in Tom Brady. So uh, and Patrick Mahomes. So I feel like both of these quarterbacks are going to be, you know, the highlight of the game. But overall, I feel like this game is going to come down to defense, which has been so much the talk of the town as far as Tampa Bay goes. And if you just look at the way that, you know, both those teams are are going, um, Tampa Bay, if they're able to, you know, they've, they've stopped Drew Brees and the Saints. They've, you know, been able to give problems to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. If they can slow down and hold Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and beat them in the Super Bowl, I mean, we might be talking about one of the greatest defensive runs in NFL playoff history. Ooh, that's that's bold because there's been some great teams. You got the Bears, you have the Ravens back in the day. So I'm just going based on, like, the quarterbacks that they face and the offenses that they face. Okay, okay. Yeah, this matchup's going to be a hell of one. It's going to be historical um, because, like you said, it's the young goat versus the goat. So it'll be interesting. 
Next, we have the Andy Reid storyline in back-to-back Super Bowls appearances he's making. This could solidify him as one of the great uh, head coaches in the in NFL history. And if you look back at Andy Reid's career, regarded as one of the worst clock managing coaches in the NFL and was known to choke in big games. Mm-hmm. I think last year he re- erased all those narratives. Uh, well, in the past two seasons, you could say, because it's funny, he didn't even use a single timeout in the Super Bowl last nope. year, but still nope. got the job done. Um, but now he's in prime position to become the 13th head coach in NFL history to win multiple Super Bowl rings and win or lose. The Chiefs are building a dynasty in Kansas City, and 62-year-old Andy Reid is at the center of it all. But I, I think if he can win this ring, then we have to start talking about him as one of the all-time great head coaches in league history. I agree. I agree. Andy Reid has definitely um, always been a good head coach. It's just what separates the good head coaches in the NFL between you know the great head coaches in NFL history is just a, a matter of obviously winning uh, <laughs> winning you know is the biggest difference and also like you said the you know one of the things has been Andy Reid's uh lack of uh, clock management and you know you could argue that he could be almost on his third Super Bowl because some people say that he should have got one with the Philadelphia Eagles I understand that but I think that you look at what Andy Reid as a coach has been through and gone through and um, even as an individual, what he's been up and gone through. I, I feel like last year was vindication for him to be able to finally get over the hump, to be able to finally shut up the haters and shut up the doubters. And I feel like this year is a cherry on top of that. I feel like if they're able to go back to back, not only can you never say Andy Reid is a terrible coach. Can you never say like, you know, Andy Reid, um, you know, this or that, I think this finally, you know, proves that like, Hey, you know, I was able to get the job done, but um, I'll, I'll say this, Kish, I mean, like uh, to his credit and, and to even like a guy like Belichick's credit, like they do have historically great teams on their resume. <laughs> like, you know, you have historically great teams. And I mean, like uh, I feel like coaches definitely benefit from having great talent around them, but we've seen in the past, like great talent doesn't always win out in professional sports. I mean, we've seen teams where they had all the pieces there, but they just weren't able to make it work for whatever reason. But um, if, if Andy Reid is able to get another Super Bowl this year or, you know, going forward, I think, yeah, like you said, that will basically solidify himself as one of the greatest head coaches in NFL, in NFL history. You know, it's actually really funny that I just thought of right now is LaShawn McCoy is on the Buccaneers. So and he just won a Super Bowl last year when he was Mm. on the Chiefs. So it's going to be interesting that he's going up against his former team. But the next storyline we got is the Bucs are the host team in the Super Bowl, which after 55 years and after 55 Super Bowls, one of the Super Bowl teams will be playing on their home turf. And that being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. We've had teams that have come close to play in their home stadiums. We had the 49ers playing at the Stanford Stadium and the Rams playing at the Rose Bowl. But neither was on the team's regular season stadium. Um, The Vikings in 2017 came close and but to playing in their home stadium in the Super Bowl. But they lost in the NFC Championship to the Eagles. Mm -hmm. And who else? But Tom Brady would break this record <laughs> to be the first to take his team as the first 
uh, you know, hosting team in the Super Bowl. But I, I always thought that whichever team breaks this uh, record would have an insane home field advantage. But there's only going to be 22,000 fans uh, allowed in the stadium and they'll all be maintaining social distancing. So what's your thoughts on the Bucks being the first team in NFL history to play on their home turf in the Super Bowl? If there was no COVID, I would say this was a big advantage for them because, you know, uh, they would, like you said, have the home field, quote unquote, home field advantage. But I think the difference this year is that really, while many will say like, you know, there is still that element of a home versus away. I, I, I think, yes, this is historic. And, you know, obviously this, you know, first time this has ever happened in NFL history, but this doesn't seem that significant to me just because like you said, uh, there's not going to be that many fans in the stadium to be able to play almost like a 12th man. And on top of that, there's within that 22,000, there is going to be a bunch of chief fans there too. So, I mean, I personally think that this, if this was, like I said, no COVID, I think there would be an extreme amount of pressure on the bucks because you're at home technically in front of your home fans and if you don't deliver, how sad would it be if you had to watch the opposing team not only celebrate, but lift the Lombardi trophy on your home turf? And I I mean, man, that would suck, to be honest with you, to have to sit there and watch that or have to not experience that. But even still, with you know a lack of fans in the stands, I think that the pressure is on the Bucks to go ahead and get this job done because, like you, like I said, it's almost similar to, and, I, and Kush, I'm sure you're aware of this, of when uh, teams are at opposing teams' uh, stadiums and they decide to, like, celebrate on the logo. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, if, if that was the case, you know, I feel like if the Chiefs win on Sunday, it, it'll be even worse because it's like we're not only celebrating, we're celebrating lifting up a Super Bowl championship in your home stadium. How you like that? Yeah, Matt, I mean, we'll see if they're on the right side of history or the wrong side of history. But yes, that would definitely suck. And then next up, we have Sarah Thompson being the first female to officiate a Super Bowl. She will join Carl Sheffer's officiating crew. And in her sixth season as an NFL official, she's rose through the ranks and now she'll be making history as the first female to officiate the Super Bowl. So what are your thoughts? I seen a meme that was uh uh because people uh were making you know obviously jokes about it but like they said like on the first the first flag that she go throw she go throw it on somebody and then uh, the player's gonna turn around and ask her like yo ref what I do and then she's gonna be like you know what you did I'm like yo I'm sleep <laughs> I'm sleep yo but nah this is definitely dope I feel like um this is a, an, an intriguing aspect uh you know obviously to the super bowl once again i think that the the nfl is trying to gain more female viewership and i think that is definitely something that a lot of not only professional leagues are aware of but businesses in general a lot of businesses are trying to not only hire more women but hire more women in more high profile positions of power and high profile positions uh in management and it, we're, we're even starting to see more female head coach uh, more female assistant coaches and you know strength coaches and stuff like that in the nfl so i think this is just you know continue a, a continuation of what the nfl is trying to do in order to get in the good graces of uh female viewers and to be able to attract you know at the end of the day more viewers because you know viewership for the nfl and across all sports is down you know whether that's because of covid or whatever what have you I'm not too sure on that, but 
in general, I think that this is something, again, that you want as a company. I understand why the NFL would definitely do this. And it's not too shocking or surprising. And it's right along their agenda of what they're trying to accomplish, which is gain more people to watch, gain more viewership and gain more people to talk positively about the NFL, because the NFL and women have not been so positive in a positive light as far as, you know, trending on social media for quite some time throughout their league's history. Yeah, I think, well, I got to give credit to Sarah Tom- Thomas, because honestly, I was not a fan of her just with her officiating. But throughout the season, she's improved drastically as an official with because um, she's she's normally a sideline judge. So she spots the ball a lot. And I think she's improved drastically so to see in the Super Bowl is good because she has uh improved her consistency as an official so it's good we'll know we'll get in some good spots with the balls and um we'll see how the officiating crew in general <laughs> I just hope I just hope that like she doesn't have to like make like a decision or she doesn't make any sort of decision that like will get people like coming at her wildly on social media or something like well, that. well that's people that, that's that's People on social media, that's yeah, their yeah, problem. Yeah. That's not her problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I just, I just hope her. that, like, you know, she, you know, is able to have a good game officiating and, like, she's able to get, you know, positive shine and not any sort of uh, vitriol or, or, or backlash or anything for that for, out of completely nothing out of her control. All right. And the last storyline we got is this is a rematch from the regular season. November 29th, these two teams played each other and the Chiefs edged out the Bucks 27 to 24. And Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill went absolutely berserk on the Buccaneers defense. Mahomes had 462 passing yards and three touchdowns. And Tyreek Hill had 13 catches, 269 yards, and all three of Patrick Mahomes' touchdowns. But here's the crazy thing is the two teams combined for almost 1,000 total yards this game. And there were, like, I think, like, a fifth of them were on the ground and then four fifths of it was through the air. So it was just an air raid attack on the field, but it was a fun one to watch. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it was a close game. Definitely. Like you said, the chiefs edged them out. Um, the biggest thing coming into this game is that if you're the Buccaneers, you got to make sure you know where number 10 and uh, number 10 on the chiefs is at all times on the defensive side of the ball. You cannot let that man get in behind uh, the defense and, uh, you, you just can't let Tyreek Hill go off, man, because it's something about Tyreek Hill. When he when he goes off, it's almost like it ripples throughout the entire receiving core. It's like they get confidence because then all of a sudden the defense is like, oh, well, we got to focus in on Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey starts getting touches. Then all of a sudden, like other guys start getting ingratiated into the offense. And then it's like, dang, dude, like what do we do to stop this? Yeah. Tyreek Hill is for sure a problem. So we'll see if they approach it differently than the regular season get matchup that they have. But let's talk about our Super Bowl predictions. Let's let's talk about each team a little bit first. So let's talk about the offenses of these teams, because these might be the two most high powered offenses in the NFL this season. Let's talk about the Chiefs. I think we've talked about them about 10 million times in different ways the Chiefs can beat you on offense because they have that many options on every single play. And for defenses, this is probably the most complex offense to try to game plan for just because like what I said, they have like 
four, five, six options every single play. And Mahomes, most electrifying player in the league because uh, he has the ability to get the job done with both his arm and his legs. And it definitely helps when you have the best tight end in the league in Travis Kelsey and maybe the fastest guy the NFL has ever seen in Tyreek Hill. Um, and last uh, round in the conference championship, those two guys combined for 22 catches, 290 yards and two touchdowns. And so that's just their passing game. And then when we talk about their run game, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he's definitely been banged up. Le'Veon Bell hasn't been looking good at all. But I think with rest two weeks off for um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think he's going to be close to if he's not 100%. And the Chiefs will really need that given how the Buccaneers uh, run defense is. But I think the biggest loss for this offense is going to be their left tackle, Eric Fisher, who suffered Mm. an Achilles injury against the Bills. So. Patrick Mahomes' blindside could be in jeopardy against the Buccaneers. But what are your thoughts on this Chiefs offense? Yeah, that's a huge loss that you just mentioned because we all know that, like, if you cannot protect the quarterback, uh, it might be, like, just free reign to get to Mahomes. And he can get out the pocket, don't get me wrong. But, again – He has that turf toe, too. Exactly. It's been, been like, two weeks since he's uh, last played. And, you know, I think if – if I'm the Buccaneers, I got to at least try at some point to, to get pressure on Mahomes and see whether or not he can get outside the pocket. Because if he's like Justin Fields and he can't go nowhere, he's just a pocket passer, it's free reign on Mahomes all day and night. Like, we're going after that man because he puts so much pressure on the defense once he gets outside the pocket. And that's when guys can start to get open and he's able to buy time for them to be able to find space. And you know Tyreek Hill, if you give that man – ample time and opportunity he is going to get open so I mean like you have to be able to not allow Mahomes to just have all day to sit back and throw so I think one of the things that uh is going to be interesting is whether or not they are able to withstand the pressure because you know the pressure is going to come at some point um and just how they're able to convert because sometimes they've gotten off to like slow starts that we've seen, even dating back to last year's playoffs, they've gotten off to slow starts. And we've seen with this Buccaneers team, you cannot have a slow start against Tom Brady. You have to be bringing your a game because if you start off like, you know, down double digits, like 10, nothing, it's not to say that the chiefs can't come back. It's just, I think that it would be a a difficult ask to be trying to come back against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl on the biggest of stages. But if anyone, any team were to do it, it would be the Chiefs. It would be the Chiefs, of course. You know, they love playing from behind. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the Buccaneers offense because you can argue that maybe Mahomes has probably the most or even the best weapons in the league. But probably the only other quarterback that you can argue that has more or better weapons is the guy on the other sideline in Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Because he has Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, who is doubtful for this game, which is huge. Um, And then Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Bray. And we all know that Bruce Arians offense loves to sling the ball in that air raid. But uh, Tom Brady, he doesn't blow you away with his plays or anything like that, but he is probably the best game manager in NFL history, and he will always find a way to put you in a position to win the game or at least a a chance to do so. And But I think the main thing for this team is, yes, their pass offense, but also their rush attack. I said it last week, too, with the Packers, and they didn't really show up, but they still got the dub. Um, But there's rushing attack duo of Fournette and Ronald Jones might be the most important part of their offense just because if they can run the ball successfully and control the clock and keep Mahomes off the field – 
as long as they can, they'll be able to control this game and it, it will give them the best opportunity to win this game. But what are your thoughts on this Buccaneers offense? You also can't forget about my man, Scotty Miller, bro. Scotty Miller, Julian Edelman's doppelganger, bro. <laughs> whole, he's talking about that he could beat Tyreek Hill in a race. I think he needs to slow his roll over there. I, I was I forgot what I was watching. I was watching something. I think it was highly questionable or something on ESPN. And they were talking yeah. about instead of a coin flip, we should have Scotty Miller and Tyreek Hill race and whoever <laughs> yeah. wins. That's the coin flip right there. Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know if the Buccaneers want to risk that. <laughs> no, I don't think. I don't think the Chiefs would want to write that off because they know Tyreek Hill is going to win, but you never know. Exactly. With but, his injuries. Um, but, but, yeah. Nah, uh, I think, like you said, the Bucks offense, we already know Tom Brady has so many weapons to utilize. But I personally think that judging based off what he's done um, throughout the postseason, while, yes, um, he has had success, we have seen Tom Brady – Throw some, throw some interceptions and have a little bit of missed timing. And there, and I, and I know, like when you look at the stats, you know, in the previous game, he did have three picks. Now, one of those interceptions, he did like it was a deflect, a tip ball. So I mean, like when it's a tip ball, I can understand both ways of like it's not fully on him, but the timing wasn't there, is what I'm saying. And it's kind of telling and interesting to see like the timing being still issue still having some issues this deep in the season as far as like with routes and stuff like that so I think Leonard Fournette if I'm the offense for the Bucks, and I know you don't want to ever take the ball out of Tom Brady's hands but I'm trying to get Leonard Fournette some touches this game because I think that turning the ball over is going to be the biggest thing because I figure if whoever is going to win the turnover battle is going to win the game. I honestly think that if the, if the Buccaneers offense is going to, there's, there's, there's two things they have to do. They have to take care of the ball and score in the red zone. And by scoring the red zone, they have to score touchdowns. Cause once you get that deep and you can't be settling for field goals against Kansas city, because the field goal is almost like a turnover in itself. Cause it's like, we're fine with you getting three because we're going to go ahead and get six the other way. So it's almost like you're, you're, it's almost like uh, in basketball where like you're, you're getting a layup, but the team is just hitting three after three after three at, at the other way. And they're playing the logistics game. So if you're the Bucks offense, you got to make sure that you're getting uh, touchdowns on the board when you can and take advantage of every single opportunity that you have. And you really just can't give an inch. And if you're Tom Brady, this is not the game where it's it's the day to have a multiple interception game. It's the day to have a, a, a miscommunication with receivers. This is the game where you have to make sure that your guys know that, look, man, run those routes hard run those routes hard, just like we did in practice all week long. We got to get this timing right. And we got to make sure that we are on our A game because if we turn the ball over here, that kid on the other end is going to bury us if we're not on our A game. Yeah. And I think not only Fournette, but Ronald Jones is going to be a big part because last time these guys played each other, Ronald Jones, he only had six carries, but he was efficient with those six carries because he averaged over seven yards a carry, but they were down so much in that game that it forced Tom Brady to pass the ball a lot. So, I mean, if they can get the run game going in uh, Ronald Jones and Fournette, then it's going to be scary for the Chiefs. And then we've seen that's the formula with, uh, teams that have beaten the Chiefs in the in the past, time of possession and taking the ball out of Mahomes' hands is the keys to winning the game. And how do you do that? You go on long, just 
crazy drives where <laughs> the defense for the Chiefs, play eight minute drives exactly, exactly and you got to make sure that these that these drives are not just you know like oh we went on a 13 play drive but we didn't score or we only got a field you got to yeah. make sure that you convert on those drives because not only is it just methodical and like almost like the spurs even like because everybody talks about like you know if tom brady just dinks and dunks all game if you're a Bucks fan, you don't care. You don't care. Dink and dunk all game long. Get up the field. North, south, that's where we're trying to go. And we're trying to get up the field and just make sure that we get to the end zone. Because at the end of the day, I don't care if it's a long-range 56-yard bomb, but if it's if it's a 10-yard, 13-yard, or it's a 5-yard a throw, and he goes and runs up, and if it's a screen pass, whatever – as long as we're going up the field, you have to love it if you're Bruce Arians in the uh, Buccaneers. Cause I mean that at the end of the day, you're trying to put points on the board. And I think that's the best situation is if they just methodically get up the field and go on those long drives and just take the wind out of the chief's defense. All right, let's move on to the other side of the ball. They say defense wins championships. So let's talk about these two teams defenses. Let's start off with the chiefs. The Chiefs defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnola, he was the defensive coordinator for the Giants in 2007-2008 when the Giants beat the Patriots in Super yes, Bowl sir. 42. So he knows the recipe to get into uh, Tom Brady's head. So it's, uh, he's well aware that Brady struggles mightily against pressure. So oh, yeah. that makes the battle in the trenches important for both teams. Uh, I think the Chiefs D-line, which has looked good this playoff run, uh, especially Chris Jones, he's been worth that contract extension that he yeah, definitely we got. we talked about that. We talked about so that. So they'll need to apply pressure on Brady and stuff the run game to allow Mahomes uh, – to give Mahomes ample opportunities to win the game. And along with the Chiefs D-line, uh, the Chiefs secondary, they've been consistent these playoffs as well. Guys like Legereus Sneed, Ward, those guys have been stepping up and they're going to need it more than ever in the Super Bowl given the amount of weapons that the Buccaneers have in the passing game. But the Achilles heel that I think the Chiefs had is their linebackers. Luckily, the Buccaneers don't have any running backs that pose a big threat in the passing game. Although Fournette, when he actually catches is the ball he can make uh plays with his feet uh after the catch but what are your thoughts on this chief's defense yeah like you said um uh like we were just talking about with, with the bucks offense the chiefs really have to be aware of um just just the fact of like they can't allow themselves to get burned for big plays big plays take just like they just suck and it's like you work so especially if it's like third down and you got them you trying to apply pressure or something like that. And Brady just throws a long range bomb to Chris Godwin or something like that. And it's like, dang, bro, we worked so hard to get these guys to third down and they just do that. So I think the defense really, like you said, um, they're going to have to get pressure on Brady because he hates pressure. We've seen it from time in and time out in the big stages, even when they've won Super Bowls, like the, the uh, when Brady's won Super Bowls, even this uh, past Super Bowl that he won in 2019, he got pressured. I mean, like, it was a difficult one. It, like, scoring came out of very much a premium in that game. And, you know, fortunately, they were able to win the field position battle and the time of possession battle. But at the end of the day, I think that the defense did their job for the L.A. Rams in that game. And I think that the, the Chiefs are going to have to pretty much not mirror, but be able to at least cause Brady some issues to where he's going to have to either – you know, throw the ball away or, you know, uh, throw it in the dirt. Cause you know, he's very intelligent as far as not knowing when not to take a sack. So if you could just pretty much do that, like you don't necessarily, like people say like, Oh, 
Um, if a team doesn't get like a ton of sacks or isn't averaging like, you know, a lot of sacks or whatever, they're a bad deep, they don't get enough pressure. But I mean, like that to me doesn't uh, define if you're getting pressure or not. I mean, because if you're just being able to get guys to throw the ball away, that's almost like, you know, a loss down pretty much. So I feel like that's that's something that the Chiefs really have to do is just really get in Brady's head and not allow him to just sit back and do what he does back pick a defensive part in the pocket and just make clean throw after throw after throw. He has to touch dirt at least a few a few times throughout this entire game. Yeah, I'm sure Spags will definitely throw multiple blitz packages at Brady and the Buccaneers offense. Let's talk about the Buccaneers defense. This Buccaneers D-line probably one of the scariest defensive lines in the NFL. You look at one of the most underrated guys in the league in Shaq Barrett. Mm-hmm. And then in Dominican Sue, you have Jason Pierre-Paul, you had Vita Vie. They can all affect both in the pass and the run game. So it's crucial for them to force Mahomes out of the pocket, especially given his foot. But then again, Mahomes is probably the best quarterback when outside the pocket. <laughs> so that doesn't guarantee anything. You have to finish the play. But yeah, it's going to be crucial for them to uh, put pressure on Mahomes. But the craziest thing is, probably the Buccaneers D-line isn't the scariest part of their defense. The scariest part is their linebackers. Devin White and Levante David, they're probably the best linebacker duo in the league right now. And we're always talking about in like how there's nobody in the league that can cover Travis Kelsey. But I think if there is any team that could cover uh, Travis Kelsey, it would be the Buccaneers because of their combination of size, strength, and speed with Devin White and Levante David. I, in my opinion, this is going to be the X factor between the offense and the defense. It's going to be tra- Travis Kelsey versus the Buccaneers linebackers. And then the we, when we talk about the Buccaneers secondary, I still think that this could be the Achilles heel for this Bucks defense, given that what they did with Tyreek Hill, they gave up 269 yards to him in the regular season, but they have come a long way. They, if you look at it, they forced two Hall of Fame quarterbacks to throw four total interceptions in the playoffs. So, I mean, there is a they've been coming along in the playoffs so far. But what are your thoughts on this Buccaneers defense? Yeah, if they're somehow, some way able to get turnovers on Mahomes, that's a big, big, big advantage for them. Because, like I said, the the turnover battle is going to be crucial. The time of possession battle is going to be crucial, and um field position is also is always a crucial thing in in the sport of uh football but at the end of the day the Buccaneers defense is legitimately a threat and could even score points this game that's how that's how crazy this this defense can be so Mahomes definitely is going to have to be aware of like uh where the pressure is coming and like we mentioned with their left tackle on the blind side being kind of almost open you can definitely take advantage of that. And if you're able to get a free run on Mahomes, and if you can force a fumble or, you know, get a sack or force him to throw an errant pass or something like that. And like you said, you know, you got JPP down there, you got uh, Sue Barrett. I mean, they got guys that can get to the quarterback. It's just a matter of, will they get to the quarterback? You know what I mean? Cause Mahomes can get shifty with it. So like you said, finish the play, finish the play, finish the play, because it's not over even if he's, you know, taken off because you got to make sure you get this guy on the ground because he could just go on like a crazy 20, 30 yard run if you're not careful. So yeah, that's going to be the biggest thing I think is whether or not they're able to force Mahomes to make some, you know, uh, some dangerous throws or maybe the old risky throw or something like that. And just take advantage of when you're able to get a turnover and score off of it. But overall, I think if the the Bucks defense has as as if they play 
to the level that they have been in the playoffs and maybe even beyond that, then yeah, they win this game without a doubt. Because I feel like if Mahomes and and the Chiefs struggle, um, I just don't see them getting points off their defense. Yeah, it'll it'll definitely be, I think, the matchup we're all going to want to watch is the Chiefs offense versus the Buccaneers defense. But obviously that's not what the Bucs want to see because they want to see their offense on the field. So of course, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show. And let's talk about our Super Bowl predictions, our winner. I'll go first. I said at, when we were talking about the, uh, the conference championships, I said whoever wins the NFC championship is going to win it all. But... After seeing what the Chiefs did against the Bills, I want to <laughs> pick them, but I am not. I'm going to rock with the Buccaneers as much as I don't want to see Tom Brady win another ring. Not hating, a little bit hating, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rock with the Buccaneers. And I say they put the, they they win this game on the backs of their defense and Tom Brady's game management, and maybe even the refs. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Because actually, Carl Sheffers, uh, the lead official for the Super Bowl, he was the lead official for the Patriots versus Falcons when the Pats came back down twenty to three. So <laughs> you, you never oh, know. God. Oh, you never God. know. But oh, um, Lordy Lord. But yeah, I have the Buccaneers winning. Corey, who do you have winning? Um, this was tough because, like you said, there's just like so many different aspects to this game that. And at the end of the day, it, it's not going to come down to one play. I feel like it, it, it will be the entire game. If you're a football purist, you're going to have to watch this game a couple of times to be able to see like who, where the game was won and lost. But uh, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, while the Bucks defense does make me nervous, I think that it just depends on the health of Mahomes, man. Like if, if he is, I mean, he looked close. good. He looked good last. He looked week. pretty good. He looked pretty good a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he looked pretty good a couple weeks ago. Don't get me wrong, but if he's if he's back to that dude, it's a scary night. It would be the Buccaneers. Yeah. I just feel like I said it before the season started. I said it before the playoffs started, and I'm going to continue to say it. I feel like the Kansas City Chiefs are going to go back to back, just because if if they are able to just get plays off with Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey or whoever if they because they always seem like they have another weapon that comes at you Hardman even who who had like that big 56 yard play and uh against the Bills like that's what I'm talking about they just have so many guys that if you're not careful can hit you with something big and I feel like when you have a playmaker like Mahomes it's tough to go up against him but at the same time it's tough to go against you know Tom Brady but for the third time I'm going to do it third time's the charm we will see I got the Chiefs winning this game I'm going to pick them over the Buccaneers. Should we make a, a, a nosebleeds bet on this one? We could do a nosebleeds bet. How much you want to put on it? Should we do a usual amount? What's the usual amount? Uh, the one uh, that we did for OKC and the Rockets. I forgot. What was it? I think it was... Uh, 50? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll put we'll put 50 on it. All right. Straight up. On it. Straight up. Well, let's talk about our score predictions because the chiefs are currently favored by uh, three points and the over and under is 56 and a half points. And we have our competition still going on with Milton sports corner. Shout out to them. Curtis clinched the number one spot, which I, I think he blew himself away. (laughs) I just wish he put his money where his mouth is and he could have been rolling though. Right. We all could have been rolling. this. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but um, yeah, we have a pick'em tournament. So Curtis is basically locked up the number one spot, but number two and number three are still available. So we're gonna, and it's all a game away so we're going to post our picks and if there is a tie the tiebreaker is going to be the score prediction if you get it if you hit the nail on the head or whoever is closest so Corey, what's your score prediction for this game i feel like um this game is going to be even though they have they both have high power offense i think that this isn't going to be like a a a 40 something a 40 something game i think i'll i'll go out and say that chiefs win 31-27. Okay. I got the Buccaneers winning 33-27, to 27, so close. But let's talk about now our Super Bowl MVPs. Corey, I'll let you go first. What's your Super Bowl MVP? If this goes the way I think it goes, uh, I'll say Patrick Mahomes goes back-to-back with the Super Bowl MVPs. And, again, if, if he's able to win this and he's able to win Super Bowl MVP – I mean, he was already regarded as being the the current, you know, best quarterback in the league, already got the biggest contract in, in NFL, in the NFL right now. His stock just goes above and beyond. I mean, we're talking about legacy right here. Another, and anytime you beat Tom Brady, I mean, just ask Eli Manning. You're like, he already might as well pencil your name in the Hall of Fame right then and there. Like, and to go back to back, I mean, yeah, I just feel like, I got to go with Patrick Mahomes here because I don't feel that the only other guy I could probably say is maybe Tyreek Hill, but I feel that Patrick Mahomes is going to be the guy. If the Chiefs beat the Bucs, it's going to have to be Mahomes or nothing for me. So since I got the Buccaneers winning, I'm going to go super duper bold over here and I'm going to actually go with Devin White. I think we ha- we haven't seen a non-edge rushing linebacker since Malcolm since. Smith mm-hmm. in 2014 win a Super Bowl MVP. But Devin White, this guy has literally the heart and soul of this Buccaneers offense in just his second season. And he's already one of the best linebackers in the league. Had nine sacks this season. I know I always say this from the middle linebacker position and still didn't make a Pro Bowl. So I think he has a chip on his shoulder and he's going to show the entire league that he not only should have made the the Pro Bowl, but he's going to be the youngest Super Bowl MVP in NFL history at 22 years old. That's not a bad prediction. I, I should honestly check the odds on that. Maybe just put a couple dollars <laughs> down on that. Cause if that shit hits, ooh wee. <laughs> but honestly, uh, I'm getting so many vibes of that Super Bowl 50 game between the Broncos and the Panthers right now. <laughs> I'm really getting those vibes. I mean, you got the, 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 the MVP high profile, a young quarterback and uh, Cam Newton go up against the veteran quarterback against Peyton Manning. It, it almost feels a little bit similar, doesn't it? That was a defensive battle, though. And I think, I think yes, both defenses are good, but I see this being more as an offensive battle. But in in terms of the young gun versus uh, the old veteran, I, I could see that. All right, we got some crazy NFL news. We had Matt Stafford and Jared Groff. They're basically swapping teams. We got the trade details. The Rams are trading Jared Goff, the 2022-2023 first-round picks, so that's two of them, and they're getting the 2021 third-round pick. They're trading that to the Lions, and the Lions are trading Matthew Stafford. So let's talk about some winners and losers of this trade. For me personally, I don't think there's any losers of this trade, but I do think that one team did get the better outcome from this trade. 
I think for the Rams, they unloaded a bad contract in Jared Goff. They got a 31-year-old quarterback who still, I think, has a lot in the tank if he can stay healthy. That's the key. And he's a good quarterback that can actually throw the ball with accuracy consistently. And if you add that to the receiving weapons that the Rams have an emerging running back in Cam Akers and throw that Rams defense in there, you're finally giving Matt Stafford a defense to play with. I think the Rams are contenders. I, so I think this, this trade was good for them, but my only problem is they gave up a lot of draft capital and now they don't have a first round pick until 2024 for now. Cause we don't even know if they're going to trade that in the future, but uh, get this. The last time the Rams had a first round pick, it was in 2016 when they drafted, guess who? Jared, Jared Goff, Goff with the number one overall pick. So what were your thoughts on the Rams return getting Matthew Stafford? Um, I mean, I said it like early on when we first started doing the, the podcast, I said uh, I, I lumped in because we were talking about Dak Prescott and at the time, after coming off the season that he had, I was saying that Dak was arguably a top 10 quarterback. And I was saying that, but is he in the same category as a Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, you know, you know, some of the elite top level uh, guys, or is he like Matthew Stafford, like uh, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, guys who are good, who are good, but can you rely on them to get you a championship? Not necessarily. And I think I need to add a little bit of a of some some context with that situation because out of those three quarterbacks that I named in Kirk Cousins, uh, Matt Ryan, and Matthew Stafford, Matt Stafford is the only guy who has consistently had an organization not provide him with enough help and enough resources to be able to be successful. Because people, when they talk about quarterbacks, people always look at, I think, two things. They look at stats and they look at wins, losses. And I think for Matt Stafford, because of the fact that he's played with the Detroit Lions, and I think they've only had, like, what, four seasons since he was uh, with them, um, People always kind of use that as like, oh, see, like he's, I mean, he's all right, but he's not that good. I think if you look at Matthew Stafford's stats and those who play fantasy know the value of Matt Stafford. I mean, he's a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. And like you were saying, like, is he, I think, more accurate than golf? Yeah, I would say so. Um, but I think the thing that maybe concerns you if you are a Rams fan or somebody who uh, is looking at this from the perspective of the Rams is that they gave up a lot for a guy who for most of his career has struggled to keep on the field. Now, whether that is because the team around him couldn't protect him and he didn't, you know, just have enough guys that be able to keep him on the field. Fair enough. But if he's still having injury troubles with this team and with this new organization, then we can't fully say that it was all on Detroit. We had to put some personal responsibility on Matthew Stafford's shoulders as well. So I think if he stays healthy, if he has another terrific season and is able to get them deep into the, the, the playoffs, at least an NFC championship game, um, I think that you would say that uh, that was a good initial start. But at some point or another, I think, People are expecting with this trade that the Rams get back to the Super Bowl. Oh, and, yeah, for, for and, sure. I think it's Super Bowl or bust, with given the amount of first-round picks that they gave. 100%. 100%. And, and while 
I, I would say like first round picks are definitely different with the NFL and the NBA because a first round pick in the NBA would be like low tier and pretty much first round is like, that's when you primarily expect the top guys to be there. It isn't to say that second round in the NBA, you can't find nothing, but primarily the, the, the big star players are in the lottery. So if this is like a low first round pick, you wouldn't expect anything. The difference is, is that um, in the NFL, you would expect the Rams to be in the playoff hunt. So you would expect these, these, these first rounders that would be low first rounders, but at the same time, a first rounder in the NFL, there's so many guys you can pick out of that pool. So there's a lot of talent that you can add in and on a rookie contract you can play with so that you don't have to be so tied in heavily because you look at the contract situation now, Kush, they're locked into three main guys uh, with this franchise, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and now Matt Stafford are, are your three are your big three now. And if they're not able to win, like the ramifications going forward, we've seen this with the Houston Rockets when they had Daryl Morey and they kind of pretty much get rid of like almost every single traffic that they had in their arsenal. I'm not saying that the Rams gave up too much because at the end of the day, they had to give up what they had to give up in order to get Matthew Stafford. I'm just thinking that if they don't win a Super Bowl, they will feel this in the future. Yeah. Like but I if said they that. do, it'll all be worth it. Yeah, like I said, I think it's Super Bowl or bust with this team. But I like you said, Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, is a very underrated quarterback given the situation that he was in. And I think if you finally give him a defense that can help him out and some weapons, then I think he can do the job. But main thing, like you said, is him staying healthy because he has had a history of uh, durability problems. So let's talk about the Lions side. Now they traded Matthew Stafford, a guy who is 32 years old and was really not a part of their future anymore. They got a young quarterback back in Jared Goff, but he kind of has an ugly contract. So, and, but he, he does have a, maybe a sliver of potential at the age of 26. As you can tell, I'm not really a big Jared Goff fan, but, <laughs> uh, but they did get back major draft capital, two first round picks and a third round pick coming up in this draft. And I think for me, the Lions definitely came up in this trade. Their only knock is they took on Jared Goff's contract, but other than they basically, hit the hit the full rebuild mode button and they got two extra first round picks like you said is completely different from the nba and it is so valuable in the nfl because even if let's say the rams do make the playoffs but they have an early exit you know who was taking number 22 in the first round justin jefferson a guy who broke <laughs> records as a receiver so there is still very there, there's a lot of value doesn't matter where you're drafting in the first round so for them to get two extra picks is definitely helpful for their rebuild process um so what are your thoughts on the lions return i think the main winners out of this trade were matthew stafford because he was able to get the heck out of out of detroit um the lions because like you said they hit the reset button and probably the biggest loser out of this is Jared Goff because he's going to Detroit. Like he's going from Tinseltown, LA, where he's surrounded by nothing but winning. And he's used to going to the playoffs and even was able to get to a Super Bowl in his tenure there to now going to Detroit in the Lions organization that ain't known nothing but for Barry Sanders, Megatron, Matthew Stafford, and losing. Like that's it. Like, that's and by all. And and going to be known for biting kneecaps. Oh, oh, exactly. And biting kneecaps. Shout out to Dan Campbell. But 
I'm curious to see whether or not this is a long-term stay with uh, the Lions for golf. And I'm, I'm curious to see what the Lions do with this, uh, with these, with these picks, because we've seen so many times where, yes, our picks valuable. Like you said, Kush, yes, they are so valuable, but if a team is notoriously known for not doing anything in the draft substantiating or being able to maximize the picks that they have to turn them into, you know, diamonds in the rough or turn them into some sort of gold that they can, you know, use to either help the team now or flip later because they know they're not going to be able to afford the guy because he's going to ask for crazy money. I, I just, I just don't know if the, the Lions are going to take advantage with these picks. I don't know what these picks are going to turn into. That's the, un, that's the thing that you're unsure about with the Lions and you don't know what the picks are going to turn into. You don't know what type of Jared Goff you're going to get. So I would say like the, the Lions, yes, I would put them as a winner, but it's still up in the air for me on whether or not it's a, a because right now, if I had to grade it for them, I would probably put them at like a, a, a B to B minus range. Um, and I, w- I would say like at any point, if they if they make some silly decision with the the with the the picks that they have, it's it's going to look bad. And I, I'm just curious to see how long of a tenure are they prepared to give Dan Campbell? Because it looks like all intents and purposes, this is not going to be a one season and oh by next season you better have this figured out like this looks like this is going to be a multiple seasons where like okay you got at least maybe two three years and by year three we expect you to have this team if not decent uh or at least to be competing in the division i think yeah which sorry for all alliance fans because i know <laughs> you guys are in this deep deep hole for a while now so maybe things get brighter with these picks but you never know, but I think... Oh, oh, another winner, I would say, also, is definitely Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans, because if you look at what the Detroit Lions got for um, what, what the what the Rams had to give up in order to get Matthew Stafford, you're licking your chops, and you're saying, well, if you think that Matt Stafford's worth that, well, Deshaun Watson is worth way more than that. Yeah, and but I mean, the Texans said that they are not trading him, and especially their new head coach in David Culley said that Deshaun Watson is going to remain a part of their future. So the Texans went out and they had their head coach vacancy was filled by David Culley, who was the assistant head coach for the Baltimore Ravens, and he was a passing game coordinator and wide receiver coach for the Ravens the past two seasons, mind you. The Ravens finished last in the NFL in passing this past season, and he's never been an offensive coordinator at the NFL level, but his peers have said that he's a great teacher, game planner, and motivator. So, I mean, take that as you will, but the Texans finished 4-12 and this past season with no first or second round pick in the upcoming draft, and they have a very talented quarterback, as we mentioned, in Deshaun Watson, but he doesn't even want to be there. He just signed the contract extension with them last season. Mind you, Deshaun Watson is coming off a career year where he set career highs in touchdowns, passing yards, and completion percentage while throwing a career low of seven interceptions. So what are your thoughts on this hire? Um, I think it was kind of like a they, – they, I think that the, the Texans at this point, they're just kind of – they're in a similar situation to the Rockets. I feel they got a player who doesn't want to be there. He wants to get the heck up out of there. And it's just still so similar to the James Harden situation. I mean, 
Deshaun Watson have been making the playoffs and who knows if, if, they, if, if they would have just had a better second half and they beat the chiefs, who knows what happens? It was only a year ago where they were in the playoffs beating Kansas city <laughs> and, and they had the opportunity to move on to the next round. But you know, as it is, Mahomes loves to play from behind, but <laughs> But ultimately, I feel like the Texans, man, it, it just feels like with Deshaun Watson, they had a whole lot going for them at the start when they picked them up. And what's interesting is that not a lot of people initially when they drafted and brought him in expected him to be as good as he was, even though he, you know, had such an amazing college career. I mean, that isn't to say that, you know, everybody who plays well in college translates to the NFL, but ultimately this guy looked like a stud coming out of Clemson and the fact that he really hasn't been able to go as far as he probably wanted to with this team and even really compete heavily for a Super Bowl is probably cause for concern and we've seen former players in the Texans organization come out and say that this organization is not it and in the same boat as you could say with the Detroit Lions of not being able to maximize their talent I mean we've seen how many talented guys come in and out of this organization Jadavian Clowney JJ Watt potentially um, Andre Johnson you know so many different guys who are you know you would say were definitely star players at the time while they were in the league but like I said oh how could I forget my man DeAndre Hopkins as well who they dealt off (laughs) So, I mean, it, it, I just feel like this is – they're going to hit full rebuild. Um, and at this point in time, you really don't have anything that you can say. I, I feel like they need to use Deshaun Watson to hit the full rebuild mode. Once they move him, which I think they will, because you know it's the ultimate kiss of death when the GM or the coach are coming out and saying that we're not going to trade him. Because how many times have we heard guys say, we're not going to trade him, we're not going to trade him. He's a – he he's our player. He, he he's play. He's with our organization. I mean, countless. You know that's the kiss of death. You know that they're gonna have to move him because the pressure is on. Because the longer you wait, the less, the, the the more his 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 uh his value just deteriorates. So especially coming off a trade that just happened with Matthew Stafford going to the Rams for what he went for, you need to strike while the iron is hot. Make sure that you secure a first round pick, a top tier draft pick, and make sure that you're able to go ahead and get the defense bolstered because I don't care. People will say that they need to, you know, maybe get a young QB, but what's the point of getting a young QP, Q, uh, quarterback, excuse me, if your team is trash, <laughs> if your team is, is a rebuild team? I say build through that defense, get a defensive component, and be able to influence that team by, by having, a, a, you know, maybe the next quote unquote, JJ water, maybe having the, that next young piece in your defensive arsenal build that way. And then when your team is looking like a budding playoff contender, then go ahead and get the quarterback via the draft or free agency or whatever, or, or trade or whatever have you. I just think that the Houston Texans right now are in a very crummy spot. And unfortunately, David Cully is now the new head coach. So similarly to, um the Houston Rockets so I I think with the the Texans I think they're an absolute shit show and guys like J.J. Watt who you thought would be a Texan for life and guys like Deshaun Watson after signing that contract would be a Texan for life those guys are on ready to move out so I think Dave Cully 
you know, he kind of walked into a shitty situation, but the Texans at the same time, I think their biggest move on the rebuild was obviously the Deshaun Watson, what they're going to do with him. But probably the second biggest was who are you hiring at head coach? And I think with Dave Cully, I, if I'm a Texans fan, I don't like it at all. Cause like I said, you're taking a guy who's never been an offensive coordinator, who's never been a part of play calling, but he, and he was a passing game coordinator for the Ravens who had finished last, last season in passing yards, passing touchdowns. So, I mean, everything on paper just just screams like why did you hire him (laughs) why (laughs) especially when you have a guy like eric Bieniemy available and i i I don't know why he hasn't been hired i don't know if he's had off-field issues or like he has a history or something and that's kind of scaring teams away but eric Bieniemy, look at him he's competing for his second super bowl back-to-back years so it was a very questionable uh hire in david cully but for me as a ravens fan it was great news for me because <laughs> <laughs> I think the Ravens get a new passing game coordinator, hopefully someone who can help develop Lamar Jackson as a better passer because he definitely did take a step down from his second season. Um, and also the Ravens got two compensatory third round picks. So they got an extra 2021 <laughs> and a 2022 third round pick for Cully getting hired from their staff. So, I mean, for as a Ravens fan, I love the signing, but <laughs> as, as an NFL or a Texans fan, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand the hiring. I don't like it. Maybe this could come full circle and this could, I, I'll be biting my own words, uh, but we'll see as a, as a Ravens fan, I'm joyful though. So <laughs> we'll just, we'll keep it at that, but that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the nosebleeds we appreciate y'all for listening as always check us out on spotify apple Podcasts. if you're on apple Podcasts, shoot us that five star rating because it really helps write us a review if you're feeling generous um and on social media make sure you guys are following us keeping uh, up to date with us we are on twitter at the nosebleeds sorry the underscore nosebleeds am i messing up the social media i don't even know myself and you know, i say it every single time on twitter at the underscore nosebleeds that's k-n O W S bleeds on Instagram, the nosebleeds, and on Facebook, you can look up the nosebleeds podcast. Corey, any last words before Super Bowl Sunday? Let's get it on, baby. It is gonna be interesting. I'm definitely gonna check out that Devin White bet because I think I'm gonna, I might have to place <laughs> that bet. And uh, I'm gonna hopefully be $50 richer after our own little nosebleeds bet. We shall hey, see. We'll see. We'll see. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Enjoy the game. Make sure y'all, you know, having a great time with your family. I know it's not officially a holiday, but I mean, be safe though. Be safe. Be safe. Be safe. Especially if you are attending the game, please be safe, y'all, because COVID is still real. Make sure y'all are staying at least six feet or more apart from each other wear your mask and enjoy the sports man enjoy the sports and enjoy the big game and the big day yeah other than that we out deuces